Welcome back to another episode of Bad Talks. I think that song was appropriate for our next guest. It's like so smooth. Always. <laughs> and you guys just wait because the smoothness will only transition when Miss Elina takes over. <laughs> That's right. So we are so excited tonight um, to have on the Bad Talks podcast, Miss Elina Fernandez. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. And oh, thank you. I just really am so excited and so honored to be here with you and your audience. Yeah, so uh, Alina, I mean, I don't think I can do you justice um, because she's a very humble woman, but she's a very accomplished woman and mother of, is it three daughters or four daughters? Four. Four. Okay. Yeah. I want to make sure I get all of them in there. You know, you don't want them to listen yeah. to the show and be like, what about me? <laughs> but um, she also is the founder of a website called Positive Moms. She is a four times TEDx speaker. Yay for that. Um, it takes a lot of work to get on a TEDx stage. And I want her to also talk about just some of the other things she's done. She's worked with Les Brown before um, as well, um, who helped to cultivate some of her speaking habits. This was someone that he had to pretty much throw on the stage. And then after that, it was game over. Wow. So tell us a little bit about more about yourself and how you, you know, got started on your journey. Oh, thank you so much for asking that. You know, I'm really, really grateful that you talked about my daughters because being a mom is my most sacred calling. And I have four daughters, like you said, three are living at home, which is why you got the three. And they are 20, 19, nine and three. Oh wow <laughs> that's a spread that's a spread from yeah. adulthood literally to a toddler <laughs> exactly yes they're a lot of fun and there are different adventures and different challenges at each stage and that's why I'm really passionate and really my mission is to help moms break cycles find peace and and really feel whole because when we do that when we are able to tap into that peaceful, playful, present, and on purpose, and you know, environment. We are able to actually create a peaceful environment for our children, and we are influential to the world. So yeah, I have my positive mom community that I founded, and like you said, my positive mom blog, and I have books and and programs to to help moms achieve that. And I'm also on the journey with them in the trenches working on that because it's an ever growing journey. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is we hear this very calm Alina, very like chill. I was just gonna say But yeah, this yeah. woman has had, you know, some journeys or, or challenges as well. You know, I was fortunate enough to participate in a program she helps to facilitate for and she shared some of the things that happened to her. So she didn't just wake up one day and say, mm. I'm gonna be this positive mom. There were like a lot of things that happened along the way. So it's I been don't a know. Process, huh? It's been a process. process. So I don't know how deep you want to go into that because it's super emotional but it's always a process ladies and gentlemen <laughs> always a process yeah. let's let's go deep let's go as let's deep go as you, want, you know oh, hey boy. make sure you have your oxygen tank since we're going that deep okay <laughs> ladies and gentlemen <laughs> oh i love that yes you know i i love the work that i do because it's it's called positive it's the positive moment yet we have this misconception out there that in order to be positive, we need to bypass our pain. And I've been through a lot of painful experiences and we're gonna go deep into that. But the main takeaway 
is that in order to actually process that pain, we need to validate it. And we need to say, hey, I went through that and it was hard and it was painful and it was horrible, you know, and, and we really get real because if we don't accept it, we can't heal it. And so that's why I tell my story. And it, it is true that a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to share what I went through because it's a victim space. And being a victim is not an issue because you didn't choose to be a victim. And so I was born a victim, someone that is innocent and then starts to become abused. And I grew up in a very dysfunctional environment in extreme poverty, as you know. I grew up in a slum in the Dominican Republic and all of the basic needs that most children have, we didn't have them. We also were afraid. We were also terrified every day for the things that we saw around us. And within, you know, the, I would say walls of our home, but we didn't have really walls and we didn't have a toilet and we didn't have electricity or plumbing. We really were surviving each day. And when you live in that kind of childhood and that kind of uh, community, you learn very young that number one, you can't trust anyone. Number two, that life is more painful and harder for you. And number three, that you are kind of the the trash of society. Mm -hmm. And those are the messages that we send. People that, that live in poverty or people that go through trauma or people that quote unquote are victims because we have a stigma about pain. So, you know, fast forward uh, to when I was seven years old, I always like to tell this story because it's so beautiful and talks so much about the power of a vision. I was able to, you know, after my brother and I fetched our water, uh, we took this little break and went to the dump, which was the landfill uh, behind our little home where we lived. And oh, this was so magical for us. I can't talk about it without a smile on my mm. face because my brother and I would just like go into that trash and just find the coolest things and and find things to play with and sometimes yeah, to eat. <laughs> mm. But um, it was just like a magical adventure. You know, uh, my daughters joke because we like puns and she says, they say, a land filled. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's a twist on it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so um, we found this magazine and we call it Eclipse because it was highlights, but we didn't speak English. And somebody had thrown away that magazine. And I know that you've heard that somebody else's trash can be considered treasure, right? It's another person's treasure. So that was a big treasure for me because I saw things in that magazine through illustrations and pictures that I didn't even know were possible for children. And I get chills because I didn't think if they were possible for families to have that kind of love, that kind of connection, that kind of safety, 
and also that kind of prosperity. And it opened my eyes to what I could be and, and what I could do and what I could have. And that's the main thing that I learned. And at seven years old, I became an entrepreneur because I started doing this cardboard, cardboard puppet theater. See, I can't even pronounce that very well. Um, but it was fun and I started storytelling. And that's when I fell in love with telling stories that were inspired by this magazine and, and the vision that that represented for me. And I made the decision that forever changed my life, which was to learn English. Because I, I made it up in my mind that if I learned this language, I could actually have this life. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting because I didn't know what I was doing at that time, but now I know that I, I was locking into the power of a vision and something that got ingrained in my brain. And I started working toward that vision. And by the time I was 11, I had saved enough to enroll myself in English classes wow. because they weren't free. I mean, and especially in the slum, like nobody's thinking about learning mm. English or mm. learning anything sometimes. Mm. Thankfully, we, you know, were in, in, a, in a home where the power of education was always instilled in us and we went to school, but that was really not something where you went beyond. You were thinking about surviving. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward to when I was 15, I had graduated from high school. I also had graduated from English. I had started teaching English. So it was a really wonderful time because it, it allowed me to see that I could work toward a goal. And even though I didn't never had that childhood, I continued to believe that I could have that life. And, and I moved to the capital, to the Dominican Republic capital, which is called Santo Domingo. And there I started to go to college and to, you know, really grow up. I mean, I was 15 and I was living on my own and I was exposed to all kinds of things. Um, but I lived in a safe place until at age 19, I was actually kidnapped. And during that kidnapped, I was brutally assaulted and raped. Mm. And I was almost beat up to death. Mm. And that was a very, the lowest point for, of my life because I had, you know, known violence. I had been through violence so many times and, and for so long, but I, I had thought that I had escaped that and that, and that all of that pain that I went through in my childhood, that it was behind and that now I spoke English and now I had a good job and now I was going to graduate college as the first one in my family. And, and so I had a lot of obstacles, but I also had a lot of, I would say, um, drive and, and inspiration. That really, you know, just killed my spirits. I was feeling like, you know, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I'm going to be beat up. I'm going to be denigrated. I'm going to be humiliated. And I started to question my faith, to question life. I wanted, you know, really to disappear. And that's when I found, you know, the first part of the work that I do today, which was, which I, I call it motivational shame. 
which is when somebody is in pain, they go through something traumatic, usually people will be saying how grateful they are that you survived or how grateful they are that it's not worth like, oh, it could have been worth or, oh, thank goodness it wasn't this or, or maybe, wow, you are so strong or maybe it will pass or you'll be okay. And I call it motivational shame because really, instead of motivating us, instead of inspiring us to heal, we feel like there's something wrong with us that we're not grateful and that we're not thriving and that we're not passing, moving through it and past you know, a point where other people seem to be. And so that was the first time, you know, and for six months I was going between, oh my goodness, you know, something's wrong with me. Why am I not grateful to be alive? Why am I depressed? Why am I, you know, really suicidal? Why, why are these things really inside of me? Why am I feeling all this pain? And why am I doubting? And why am I here? And when I was, starting to kind of get back to my routine and that was in 1996 again you know this happened the, the kidnap happened in march and this other experience happened in october where i was in a car accident and i ended up in a coma for eight days mm. and this unlocked the second part of my work which is where I found out that when people were crying for me, crying with me, acknowledging and, you know, saying, wow, this poor girl, oh my goodness, look at all that, has, that she's been through. Look, she can't catch a break. Look at what's happening to her. And I could hear everything. Mm. And, and to be honest, you know, the first thought when I saw all of this happening and, and I was I was seeing my body being rushed to the ER and the electrical cardioversion and all of these things. I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to come back. Mm. I, I just rather like, this is, this is great. I mean, they told me that everything happened for a reason. That's when I believed it. It's like, yeah, this I'm done with life. And then I saw people crying and then I saw people you know, devastated and I heard their words and I felt their pain. And that's when I understood that validation is how we help others heal. Because when they validated my pain and, it, and, and we have this, this notion of being a victim, but when they saw me as a victim, they saw that I was innocent, that I didn't deserve this pain and they were with me in my pain. I didn't even have to be conscious to feel it. I understood that they loved me and it was the first time in my life where I wanted to live and I wanted to live fully and I felt loved and I felt seen and I felt safe and I felt supported. And so I love to tell this story because it's such a dichotomy you know it's such a juxtaposition of how we when we are seeing someone else be in pain we want to be positive but instead of that we need to actually be present with the pain oh man i love that because like you took us full circle in a way mm -hmm. and in the beginning you said something really important you said just because you 
became positive, it didn't mean you didn't have to bypass pain. So I think sometimes when people see people who are super positive, they're like, oh, they probably have not been through anything or they're that way because their life has gone a certain way. And your life was on this trajectory. I mean, you took yourself out of a situation that was a survival environment, right? You took some of the core values of education that your parents had instilled in you. And then you, you saw something greater for yourself. You created a vision as a kid and you worked toward it. So everything looked like it was on track and then all these things happened. And I, and I liked how you said, look, I needed to be seen and heard because I do, you know, as someone who coaches a lot of people, the biggest frustration people feel in relationships is not having their feelings mm-hmm. validated, not mm-hmm. having a voice, not being seen and heard. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. something that's so simple in a way, but it's something so often overlooked. Because isolation is already hard enough. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be around people and still feel isolated. Mm-hmm. So when you feel like you have a voice, a platform um, where people are validating you and it feels genuine, um, I think that's what gives the confidence necessary to somewhat get yourself out of that isolated mindset and to a mindset of, you know what, I do have a voice, you know, I do have a purpose, uh, purpose here. Um, and as Elizabeth was saying, there were some things that you said um, Elina, that, I mean, my goodness, that really stood out with me. And as you were talking, I was just somewhat taking some mental notes. You said something that, that, that it, it threw me off in a good way. Let me tell you why. Most people who come from poverty stricken areas, who, who, who come from areas where there appears to be no hope, that's all you hear them speak of doom and gloom. They look around and they see no life. They, they, they see nothing but what's around them. It appears that you saw something greater even at a young age because you said something. You said prosperity. You said even in spite of where your dwelling place was, you and your brother would go to the trash heap. You saw treasures. But then you said something that was very key. You said, I saw prosperity. Can you expound on that a little bit? Because there's so many people who honestly, whether you are from this particular region, whether you're from that region, we know poverty is poverty. We also know that poorness, when people talk about their poor, is really a state of mind also. How, mm-hmm. how were you able to, I mean, really, just to catapult yourself um, out of that, 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 that poverty-stricken mindset into a prosperity mindset, even though you were still around poverty? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you. Thank you for seeing that. You know, um, I love the quote by Napoleon Hill, and I, I don't know if but he talks about how in every adversity and failure and heartache, there's a little seed of opportunity. And so I uh, hadn't read Napoleon Hill at that time, but I started to read personal development books in Spanish at a very young age. And by the time I was seven years old and you know, my, my daughters have been readers since they were three years old, and, and I started to go to school when I was two years old. So and education is a big thing for us. And I remember reading As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. And so that's a book that I read every single year, sometimes several times. It depends on, you know, how crazy <laughs> things are. But, uh, but I make it a point to read that with my daughters, because that's when I understood that you are more than your circumstances. 
And I, I was taught that as an early age, especially by my dad and the people that he surrounded himself with. Um, and I also started to read books that taught me that, to see myself as someone that is not defined by her circumstances. Now, it's really hard because you have your circumstances and that's all you see. However, it's having the, I would say the awareness or being at least open to see in that where you find it and to not discount it. Because while it's true that I didn't see anything for me, you know, like that for me, I was able to, when I found it, to treasure it. And I think that's, that's going back to that Napoleon Hill quote, finding that seed of opportunity and it is a seed, it's tiny. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, paint this big picture. It's a tiny seed, but as you nurture it, it can grow. And we see the oak tree, right? We see the, the little acorn. And I'm four eight, so I like those analogies <laughs> of little things, right? But um, but it's just seeing there's one tiny bit of opportunity here. There's one tiny seed of prosperity, there's one tiny seed. So it's both and without denying that I'm going through a lot without denying, you know, in that moment in that landfill, like I had been through this ravine up and down with these gallons and this can and, and I was just sweaty and tired and, and exhausted and sleepy. But when I see my seed of opportunity, I'm not denying that. I'm saying yes and. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, it's stinky here. Yes, it's mushy. Yes, there's a seed of opportunity. There's a, there's a message here for me that I can gravitate to and that I can grab onto to take my next step. So it's not diminishing and bypassing uh, or denying or dismissing, but it's yes and, and, and taking that and and grabbing onto it with all your might. Wow. You, you speak of seeds and I'm a firm believer uh, as, as the, the, the law of life. OK, uh, seed time and harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've learned and I'm still learning, um, you know, I, I love watching National Geographic. I love watching the Nature Channel, things like that. And one thing I've learned over the years is a seed, since you're speaking on a seed that can be applied and applicable to life when a seed is planted, it's just a seed. Now, I want you all to hear this. A seed can only produce when it dies. Mm-hmm. When that seed dies, then it provides a harvest. And I say that in reference to us as, as human beings, we sometimes have to die in certain aspects in order to produce in other aspects. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and it's just so amazing when you spoke on the seed. It's such power in the seed. That little acorn. Yes, it's the acorn. I can bury the acorn. If that acorn never dies, if the soil is not conducive for it to die and then to spawn, to germinate, to grow, it won't produce a mighty oak tree, but it has to die first. Now, some of us are not willing to die to certain things. Some of us are not willing to die to our fears. That's why we're unable to produce. Some of us are willing to die in certain aspects, whether it means being humiliated, demeaned. It it appears you went through a lot of those things and thus the dying process, though it's hard. 
trust me, if I had, if someone asked me now, do you want to go through the dying process? I tell you, no, 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 no. You know, but on the flip side, I know what awaits, you know, what awaits not only me, but hopefully the benefit of others. If Kay is able to die to himself, to die to himself for Elizabeth, if I die to myself certain ways for Elizabeth, that means something is growing. Something is being harvested. So the key term is that seeds are great, but they have to die for it first in order to produce. Oh, I love that so much. I agree a hundred percent. And and something that resonated with me is the mindsets and the limiting beliefs and just the the stories that have to die mm -hmm. uh, because I was, you know, so angry for a period of time and, and I honor that anger because it kept me alive, right? Mm -hmm. It kept me fighting. Uh, but there was a point in which that anger had to go away mm -hmm. for me to birth a different life, a different mm -hmm. possibility, a different, just, I think, construction of my life for, for my legacy. And, and when you say we have to die, yeah, sometimes, you know, as we die is when we, we live the greatest legacy is when we, we, I, I wrote a poem, a book of poems called Dancing with Death, in which I talk about death from page one to page, whatever the last one is. And, you know, we, as I've been close to dying so many times, I see that every time that I've been close to death, I have become clearer and more unapologetic about the legacy that I want to live. And every single day, my, my girls joke with me about this, my oldest ones. So they have a really playful relationship. And they're like, oh, mom, you're so morbid. There you go again. But I always wonder, like, if I were to die right now, hmm. you know, how will that look like? How many regrets will I have? Will I have given, loved, and, and express myself in the ways that I wanted to do that. And when we think that no day of our life is actually guaranteed, mm -hmm. it's such a powerful force to live and to, and to give life to others. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. So many people lose themselves in the temporary. Think about that. That, that was a quote that I actually read recently and it reminded me, and this is for everyone in the audience and whoever's listening, you know, don't lose yourself in the temporary, whatever that temporary state may be. Do not lose yourself in that because if you can actually, it's always an in-between. I call it the sandwich, sandwich analogy. A lot of times when I'm, I'm talking to, to students, training students, teaching students, coaching students, um, I, I tell them, I said, the beginning phase is actually pretty easy. You know, and then I tell them the ending phase is actually pretty easy. And they just get all excited. Oh, so the beginning and the end. That's what I want to hear, Coach K. Yes. What they don't know is there's an in-between. So I give them the first, which is the intro. And then I give them the last, which is the conclusion. And I say both of those are easy. And they get all elated. But then I say, oh, but I'm sorry, guys. There's always an in-between. That in-between, that's the challenge. If you can get from point A, remember, it's always in between point A to point C. Or if you want to be technical, point A to B, it, even between point A to B, there's a space in between that. 
that you have to reach in order to attain. So it's, it's a psychological way of throwing them off. But then, you know, me being who I am, I always throw them a curveball. So, ah, but there's the in-between. If you can persevere through the in-between, that in-between could be your temporary. Then you will come out shining on the other side. Dusty, bruised up, battered the whole nine. But, yes. you know, coming out as a diamond on the other side. And just looking at your journey, like it, you know, it didn't start off pretty. You know, but there were still gains you had from having mm -hmm. that journey. There were still ways you found hope and you found resolution that, OK, I think I see something different just from reading, from opening your mm -hmm. mind, which was a shift in yourself, you know, limiting beliefs. Fast forward, you went through some things. Oh, my God. Like, whoa, this is not what was part of my vision. But that vision has strengthened you to where you are today. Now you speak about it with others. You help lots of people in your community, especially moms, to reconnect mm. with their children. Um, you write books of poetry. You are a great storyteller. Um, you work with people you probably didn't even know or think you would work with. You were sitting there supporting them, and they're like, oh, no, no, Elena, you, you have a vision, too, mm -hmm. that you have to hold out on. And I just I look at all the connecting pieces, and, you know, people are out there thinking, like, I'm never going to get out of this spot. I think we all have that moment of, like, frustration, mm anger, unresolved, or feeling stuck, you know, and just feeling like, okay, am I on the right path? Or when is this going to, you know, come through the right way? Or, mm. you know, because you could feel like you're going down the right path, similar to what you went through, and then some traumatic things can yes. happen and reshape things. But then when you get past that, similar to what you just mm. said, honey, like the middle part, that's that hard part. And you get to the end, you're like, huh, this all fits together quite nicely. Like, it better I, fit all I together need, I nicely. To, I mean, I didn't like it when I was going through it, but now I can speak to it in such a way that I never would have been able to speak to it if I didn't go through that middle part. So I just think life journey is kind of like that. It's just so many different sub-steps that we don't anticipate, you know, wh why something's happening. And that's the hardest part about life. I think in the, the present you can look and see ahead, you know, you can you can look and think of what might be ahead, but you don't know what's coming ahead. Mm. But in the future, because if you did, you would you would avoid it. Right. But in the future, you can look <laughs> back. Right. You'd be like, nah. you would avoid it. God doesn't show us, you know, mm -mm. OK, this is where you're going to end up going. OK, Elizabeth, this is the trajectory that I have in store for you. I mean, I, I, look, I, I'm, I'm the only man in this conversation and maybe I look weak, but I will tell you if. The man upstairs of God above told me and showed me my life's path as to what I would have to go through, what I would have to endure. I kid you not, I would try to find as many detours as possible, <laughs> you know, and that's why it's not revealed to us. And I think confidence, like Elizabeth was saying, with those sub steps, confidence is gained, mm -hmm. especially when you have the right people, like you said, Elena, you know, validating you, supporting you. We, we, people say, we, we, you know, I did this all by myself. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe anyone ever accomplishes anything great or small, right, by themselves. Just because you don't have anyone physically there rooting you on, you may have people behind the scenes that you may not have known of. People who may, I don't know, put a word in for you that you did not know about, you know. Spoke about you in rooms you weren't in. Right. You know? To open an opportunity yeah. for you. Yeah. But I, I, it was funny. I'm just going to go back for a second. I remember watching this segment on CBS Sunday. You know, 60, you know how to do their little 60 minutes. And they said, what do humans do the most that they shouldn't do or that they kind of need to be better about doing? They're like, they overpredict good things happening in their lives. Mm. And mm. they're like, they're not realistic about all the things that are going to happen. But then I think about it. I'm like, if we didn't overpredict, 
the good things that were going to happen. And we went in and like all these other things are going to happen. That I don't think that's a good look either. <laughs> I mean, there's a balance, but it, but it just shows our optimism is so strong. But there are mm-hmm. things in life that happen that we right. still are like, oh, I did not see that coming. But we still are able to be resilient. We're able to overcome it. We're able to take it and make it purposeful. Like a lot of I've heard you speak about your journey. And I remember being in the room and being like, I, wow, I don't I didn't go through that. Mm. And I remember you saying, we're not here to measure pain. Pain yeah. is pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and everyone has some level of pain. Um, so I'm, this is not a competition, but this is more of a healing process. I remember you saying that, and that, that empowered others in the room to talk about things that when we listened to them, I was like, whoa, that's painful too. Yeah. Um, but I also I yeah. you brought that up. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, but then on the other side, I mean, because I <laughs> that remember is funny that. though, competition. That's a good point. Because you know, that people you guys think that. They, you, hear, you hear she's been kidnapped, uh, the car. What can left. I do or say to top that? It's the, like, the, what? The coma, you're like, I don't. I was never in a coma or I didn't go through that situation. But when you reflect back, pain. everyone has something, pain you know, that's pain. a challenge. So. Well, and, and it goes on because, you know, what, what I was hearing is, but you didn't die. So like I haven't achieved, right? Because mm-hmm. some people do go through a car accident. They're never even in a coma. They just They're die. Gone. And, so, right. and so is this, this, uh, dismissing our pain and just minimizing it that we are accustomed to and that's exactly why we're not comfortable with somebody else's pain so when I looked around me you know these were people that loved me and were invalidating me because they didn't validate their own pain and that's what we do and that's that's my main message to the whole world is you know um, as you said Kay like oh, we don't have people validating us, uh, but maybe not physically, but maybe in other ways. And I got teary when you said that, because I think about my ancestors, mm-hmm. think about my grandma and my grandpa, mm-hmm. um, people who's, you know, mm-hmm. who really uh, looked at me as a, like I was valuable, like mm-hmm. I mattered. And how many times I thought, I don't want to be alive, but the way they held me, inspired me to to do more. Or my teacher, who like saw my stitches and my bruises, and and gave me a tight hug and and got down to my level to see me. You know, those little things that we do for people are huge. And and when we acknowledge that acknowledge our pain and acknowledge how people are being with our pain, then we can, it can be a template. We can do that for other people. And so that's why I have a practice every day in which I validate my pain. I validate myself because as I sit through it, and and it's like what you were saying, as I sit and, and die a little bit, thinking about the painful things, thinking about the painful memories, you know, feeling them in my body for 90 seconds, that's all it takes according to science. I just allow myself to, to feel that. And then I say, you know what? That makes sense, Elena. And I talk to myself in the third person and, and talk and, you know, say my name out loud and say, you know, that of course you reacted like that, Elena. You were suffering or of course you were triggered or whatever it is. The, and we can 
be that best friend for somebody else as well. And instead of trying to fix it or instead of trying to deny it or dismiss it, we can say, yeah, that sounds pain painful. Instead of like, oh, but you were kidnapped, right? Mm -hmm. um, because we are not comparing pain, we are present with pain. And I also wanna you know, acknowledge what you said, Elizabeth, about the optimism and the, the reasonable goals. And the, out there, we have the smart goals, right? We, we've seen that, like, they have to be realistic and they have to be time-bound and all of those things. I don't remember all of them. Measurable yeah. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Actionable. Well, I actually created, created my own acronym of goals because guess what? I, you know, to, to, to be a millionaire, which is what I wanted to be when I was seven, uh, to think about being a millionaire hmm. when you live in a slum <laughs> and no one thinks or believes around you that you can be it, that's not reasonable. That's not realistic. And so, and yet I was able to do it. By the time I was 21 in my country, I, was, I already had properties. I already had, you know, a corporate job. I already had everything that I needed, even air conditioner, which is like a luxury, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it wasn't until I moved here, though, that I experienced a hot shower. <laughs> You're like, what's this? Yes. I, I like this. I, but I had, exactly. I, yeah, now I can't, I, I'm spoiled. <laughs> but, uh, but I had a shower and I had all the things that I, that I thought I wanted and needed. And and that takes some bold goals. Hmm. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you what that stands for real quickly, because I think it's important for people to be bold in what they're asking and how they're praying and how they're, you know, intending, you know, setting their intentions or whatever it is that you call it. But I think, you know, and let me see if I know my acronym. The B is for beyond your circumstances. And that's what I told you. I learned as a little girl that I'm more than my circumstances. And it's still to this day because we're going to be in pain till we die. It's the common thread of humanity. That's pain. Now, O is for outside your comfort zone. Because you're going to have to do things that you are not comfortable doing. Those are the goals that you know that are bold, that you know that are going to be good for you because you're going to stretch and grow when you do outside of your comfort zone, uh, like learning another language. Mm -hmm. And for you to be the language of podcasting, mm -hmm. the language of writing a book, the language of code, whatever language that is, it doesn't need to be English. <laughs> and the L is for, and that's my favorite, love-centered. Because sometimes, and, and I did that as a child, like, oh, I'm going to get out of this slum and prove them who's, you know, deserves to be alive, you know. Um, that's not a love-centered goal. But I remember when I decided to become a mom entrepreneur, and it was like, I can give my kids the life of the Eclipse magazine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was excited, I was on fire, and they've had that life, you know, of playfulness and, and everything they wanted and everything that they needed. And that was a vision that was based on love, on my love for my little ones. And the D is for designed for daily progress. 
So every day we're doing something that takes us to that goal. And if I go back to that same analogy, when I became a mom entrepreneur, I had, you know, I was a single mom. I was experiencing homelessness. Then I got a, a, a job that, that was $8 an hour and I was exhausted and I couldn't make ends meet. And I decided I'm gonna put 10 minutes in creating my business every day. I had two toddlers, so that was all good for Ten minutes a day and dollars a month. And so we have no idea where we're gonna get. It is possible, but we need to be silent so that every day we're doing something, whatever we can. And if you can't get out of bed, you can think and visualize mm -hmm. your bed, what that future is gonna look like. Mm -hmm. So there's always something that we can do, even if it's think and imagine. I like what you said uh, when you were talking about just uh, the, the goals that you set for yourself. You said even 10 minutes, you, you started, working towards your entrepreneurship, your vision for 10 minutes. Let me tell you why I like that, because progress is not measured with the distance, it's measured with forward motion. And so for, for so many people out there who always make the excuses, I know because I've done it, I've made excuses. Oh, I just don't have enough time for this, I have enough time for that. We always have time. You make time for what needs to be made time for. So when you said 10 minutes each day, each day, what that says is you were determined you were going to put forth some, you were going to put, if it was 10 minutes, if it was 20, you were going to apply yourself to that vision. You know, we can all sit here and just dream forever, but you know the saying, you know, uh, a dream that is not acted upon remains a dream. And it appears you already had, you know, the vision and the goal to light the match behind it. Absolutely. I, I One of my own quotes that I say to my kids all the time is when God sees what you're working on, mm. he sees what you're waiting on. Ooh. And in that and it's a domino effect because mm. you know what? It it's not even okay that I I made that happen. Mm. Something started to, right. to conspire mm -hmm. so that I but I made it welcome. Mm. I was open to it. I was working on it. And there's a formula that I like to share that's uh, I think it was Bill Bellacy. I, I don't remember his name, but he says, intention, attention, no tension. So basically you set the intention, you put a little bit of attention every day as much as you can, and then no tension, you just let it go. Just let you it just go. know in your heart that it's meant to be, and you're not attached to how it's gonna look like, when it's gonna happen, but you just have that faith mm -hmm. and you just do it with love. And that that is, you know, when we build with love, that's, and it's like what you said about the seed, right? Back to that. When we plant that love, we're gonna harvest that love. Wow. There's a there's a saying, um, and you've kind of touched on it when you said, you know, willing, if, when, when people are willing, you know, it, God will only bring you certain things when he knows you're willing to do that particular thing. If you look throughout the good book, you know, um, you will see throughout the Bible where he would not approach anyone until he had already seen that they would be willing to do that particular thing. Now that's powerful because 
we think that we're willing to do certain things, but in reality, we're not. And maybe sometimes that's why the pieces, as you mentioned, don't necessarily come together because there's not a real willingness behind accomplishing that particular thing. So I, I, when, when I hear you talking, I said this to my daughter once a long time ago. She was dealing with some things at school, people at school. I knew when I was, you know, when we were raising her, I was raising her to be a certain type of woman and I have no regrets about it. That there, there were certain, you know, programs she did not watch, so forth. So long story short, she starts middle school, then high school. And she's just really, you could tell she's hurt because she doesn't fit in. She doesn't feel like she fit in. Her language was different. She didn't talk like everyone else talked. And I told her this. I said, you know, I said, I want you to understand something. You have a light that is inside of you. Now, that light comes through in your smile. It comes through in your action. It comes through how you're so concerned about people. I said, baby, that light is always shining. I said, but unfortunately, there's a negative force in this world that does whatever it can to dim it and to try to shut it out. My whole point is when I told her that, I said, don't ever let, don't ever let that light be removed. It may dim, it may flicker, but don't ever let it be removed. Well, I'm saying this to you, Elina, because there was a light and you still have that light. I'm sure your daughters have that light that was, that was seen in you at a very young, young, young age. And it was unfortunate that the forces, the, the negative powers that be, wanted to take that light out. It may have dimmed a little bit, may have flickered a little bit, but thank God it's actually full-fledged now. The flame continues, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. And you know, that's, that's why I do the work I do because we're all born with that light. And, and if it's nurtured, if it's, like you said, if we, if we have a torch to, to amplify that light, every child, if, if every child can have a positive mom, a mom who's, who heals, you know, we say, we, we've heard that hurt people hurt people, but also mm. heal people heal, heal people. people. Mm. Mm. And so we can break generational curses. We can break cycles of poverty, addiction, uh, you know, abuse. We can do all of that when we tune into our own life, mm. like you said. And, and I love that you share about your daughter because you know, fitting in is such a such an illusion because we weren't born to do that. We were born to shine our light, to be unique, a unique expression of, of the divine. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that you mentioned because we are, I don't want the audience to think that we're saying that's not in them or maybe they're not willing right. to do something the thing is that fear is real mm -hmm. and and the only thing that is going to cast away the fear is love mm -hmm. and so when we feel like oh my goodness i have this but i i, I keep procrastinating or i don't have i think that i don't have it in me or whatever it is that's stopping you and like you said you make excuses right like i make excuses what is the root of that? Where is it coming from? Because there, there are parts of you that really want that dream to be realized. And there are parts of you that may be afraid. And it's like that tale of two wolves. I'm sure you've heard it. It's like, which one are you going to feed? Are you going to feed your fear? Are you going to feed your faith? You have both within you. 
And so, and the fear is not even yours. Like you said, it is planted there. And so it is just listening to the, the fact that we are not one dimensional. We can be sad and proud at the same time that when my daughter went to college at that, that point was <laughs> you can be excited that you survived and sad that somebody else died mm-hmm. you could be uh, you could be afraid of taking that step and also excited for the possibility of that step mm-hmm. so it's really um and there's a quote by victor frankel i hope i don't yeah, I do it justice, but he says that in between the stimulus and the thought, there's a pause. And that's where our freedom lies. Mm-hmm. Because if we are able to pause, then we can choose exactly what it is we want. So between that stimulus, whatever event or situation or circumstance, and then our response, there's going to be that space. And if we don't have a space, then we're going to react. Mm. We're going to react from trigger. We're mm. going to react from trauma because we've all been through trauma. And if we haven't been through it, we all, so we tell ourselves, then our ancestors passed it on to, <laughs> to us because generational trauma has been proven in science. It's, it's something that, that we carry especially as people of color. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about that, it's like when we think that a lot of the reactions that we think we're doing are not even based on what we want. They're based on, on a pattern that has been put there or inherited. Then we can give ourselves permission to pause and say, I want to be free. I want to respond to this, not react to this. And that's where we're going to find that willingness that you're talking about. That's where we're going to find that strength that you're talking about. That's where we're going to find that determination because if we're living in autopilot and just letting that that program drive us, we're never going to get out of it. Mm. And and I think that's, that's what, you know, my message is, is to take that space before you react to your own pain or to somebody else's pain or to your dream or to your celebration. You know, sometimes we don't we don't honor ourselves in, in what we've accomplished, not out of modesty, but out of fear of not fitting in. So there's so much and I don't wanna, you know, like go on and on because you have so many wonderful things to say, but, but I just wanted to, to say that sometimes it does feel like we're not in charge and it's because we don't take that that pause to to access that space that Victor Frankl talks about. Well, I think like the listeners, you've given them a lot of what do they say meat to chew on a tonight. A lot of meat, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This is not and milk. For, and for the vegetarians, this is not milk. This is hardcore meat. Vegetarian, 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 vegan, so, yeah. tofu. Oh yes, tofu for the vegans. Okay. <laughs> and vegetables. <laughs> The plant proteins. But no, no, thank you so much for just sharing your experiences, your knowledge, um, your faith, just your progression of how you went through this journey. I think it will be encouraging to people who just feel stuck and don't know why or who may need to pause, just like you said, in that moment. Um, Or people who may need to just learn to really validate and see people and hear people when they're in pain. 
you know, often my dad, my dad and mom, I always say like the generations that came before us had so much wisdom, hmm. you know, someone would pass and they would just go and sit with them and bring food. And there might not be a lot of conversation, but I think it was the comfort of knowing someone was there and letting that person just release the stories that they shared. I mean, there was so much wisdom you were talking about, too. Like, we feel that. And, and they were so good at, like, you talk about this all the time, no matter how busy they were, we did feel seen and heard. And we've lost right. some of that That's right. uh, connection. So I just think our listeners will walk away with so much uh, richness of, of, like, just that next step of life that they might be in people and, who are achieving, I, not achieving stuck. Right. You know. And I like, again, that the conversation, the topic of our ancestors, you know, you brought up Elina. Um, you know, I, I've said before myself, I don't know what great, 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 great grandfather, mother, auntie, whoever may have planted seeds for me, may have prayed for me, may have sacrificed for me. So it was so good that you brought that up as well. Yeah. So we thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you for coming on. Keep doing the amazing work of helping to create the Positive Mom Project out there. And also the TEDx Talks where you're telling stories. And now the kids are doing their own TEDx They're Talks. They're doing their own TEDx so, Talks. So mama, Mama's legacy is living through them. So you're Goodness. doing a phenomenal job. Uh, for our listeners out there, can you just tell people briefly where they can find you if they want to learn more about the work you're doing? Oh, thank you so much for asking that. My website is thepositivemom.com and I'm online and on all of the platforms at The Positive Mom. All right. Well, you guys, you heard it from Alina uh, Fernandez. She was here to motivate tonight. Yes, indeed. And preach as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I know y'all felt it. I know you felt it. So we're going to leave it where, leave it there because uh, we know we gave you a lot to ponder tonight. Yes. And to chew you, on. And to chew on. Whether you're vegan. <laughs> vegan or non-vegan. <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> And we're going to take off for now. Um, remember, please, to subscribe to future episodes of our show on the Anchor app, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many other platforms. Until next time, XOXO. We'll be back with another great show.